My guest today is Glasgow-born photographer Mark Mann, who has built this stunning career photographing some of the most iconic celebrities in the world, from Robert Redford, Michael Douglas, Iggy Pop, the Black Eyed Peas, to Seinfeld, Rihanna, Queen Latifah, Stevie Wonder, Bradley Cooper, Willie Nelson, and hundreds of others. The funny thing is, Mark pretty much stumbled into photography in the most unexpected way in his late teens, which is a story that he shares, and then ended up on a plane to New York City, where with little experience, he found himself dropped into the world of hip-hop and music, focusing his lens on some of the early icons in the space. He fell in love with the stories the people's faces told, and started spending more and more time developing this really powerful signature approach to hyper-vivid, close-up, black-and-white portraits that in some way kind of captures a moment, a mood, a vibe, a story. And behind the scenes, it's been anything you know but a straight line um, or an easy path for Mark, as is common in the world of photography. There's what the public sees, and then there is the reality of the photographic life, which is not often an easy one. But for him, it has been the source of profound connection and a life of stories that will live in his mind long after the images themselves fade. So excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Hosted by Juliana Urtube, a special education expert, this season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important. So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. Good Life Project is sponsored by LinkedIn Ads. So as a business-to-business marketer, your needs are unique. B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. So isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn Ads empowers marketers with solutions tailored for B2B. Imagine having direct access to a billion professionals, including 180 million senior executives and 10 million C-level leaders with LinkedIn's powerful targeting tools built for B2B, you can drive serious results. 
LinkedIn ads generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than other social platforms in the technology space. We've actually tapped the power of LinkedIn ads a number of times ourselves, and the campaigns have been really successful. If you're ready to revolutionize your B2B marketing, try LinkedIn ads with a $100 credit on your next campaign. Terms and conditions apply. Go to linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject, or just click the link in the show notes. Terms and conditions apply. Glasgow was a great place to grow up. It really was. I'm Jewish, and the Jewish community was a little bit bigger than it is now it's dwindling but um it was great culturally and i mean i didn't really experience any anti-semitism of any notable note you see more in glasgow was like the catholics and the protestants were so busy fighting that once again if you were jewish it's like oh we don't care so i i mean it was it was i thought it was a great place to grow up yeah it sounds like it's funny when um we ask every all of our guests is just you know, like fill out a quick form before we hang out just to get a little bit of background and um the bottom question is always it's something like you know like is there anything else we should know and your answer was I may be in the bathtub when we're speaking so there's clearly a sense of a reverence that sounds like it's also probably been there from the early days <laughs> yeah it's funny it's uh it's Glasgow banter man you can't there's nowhere else like it you can't get away with anything. You know, when I go home, my friends who I've known my whole life will say, so you think you're fancy now living in New York? You think you're all fancy, do you? You're not. And it's just this immediate bring back to earth. And it's incredibly grounding, but it's amusing. You know, it's it's funny. You just, you can't, it's just the, it's the banter. The banter is phenomenal. I miss that. Yeah, it's like forced humility at high speed. <laughs> You've obviously been there. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I have a very good friend who's um, his name is Scotty, but it's actually not his real name. He, he's from Scotland, also, and uh, and as soon as he dropped down into sort of you know like the London area, which is where he's, he's been, it just immediately people started calling him Scotty just because right. of his accent, and that for his entire adult life now, that's his name. <laughs> I hated London. I, I I never wanted to live in London. It was, oh, God, London. I mean, of all the major cities, and I've been super fortunate to have been in a few, London just, or only much, much later in life when I was, you know, sent to London as a photographer to do a job. And, you know, we could take a taxi from Heathrow and not the subway, you, you know, uh, the underground and, you know, straight into central London and into a nice, you know, fancy hotel. And, oh, London's quite nice. But my experience from London before was all my friends that moved there had these damp flats in North London. It was so depressing. It was horrible. And then to get anywhere took forever. Um, I much prefer Glasgow to London. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. Um, not dissing London, but um, it's a different <laughs> I place. I could go on for um, a while about London. <laughs> Um, so it's, it sounds like for you, um, art kind of touched down fairly early in your life. It didn't show up as photography in the beginning, mm. but it sounds like in the earliest days, there was something that was, there was a, an artistic impulse in you. I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. And I think I started off by kind of copying cartoons, you know, trying to draw little characters from cartoons. 
Photography, I, I, I had no idea. I mean, photography was just something like your dad did on holiday. You know, it was nothing. And then I really wanted to do art. And uh, those, those two things that kind of happened simultaneously. I had made these sculptures in clay, which I really liked. And um, I, I really, I enjoyed them and they were great. And then similar, like at a similar kind of time, some of my buddies were uh, in Edinburgh at the Edinburgh Festival. And I went on the train from Glasgow to Edinburgh. I must have been about 15 or 14, 15, maybe 16. Uh, a bit of a chancer, but, you know, but full of myself and get on the train. And there's one four seat with this very beautiful young lady, older lady, must have been at least 17 or 18, maybe even 19. Just intriguing looking, I suppose. Now, in retrospect, bohemian might be the term, but I wasn't really too accustomed to this look. And uh, I'm sitting down. So I sat down, we started talking, and she told me she was studying photography at Manchester School of Art. I was like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. I'll see you there. And, you know, she kind of explained to me about what art school was and what, you know, I'd, I'd never heard this from anyone. And I came back from the festival and I went into, I had a very good relationship with my uh, dear art teachers, um, one especially, Mr. Marshall. And I said to him, do we have any photography in school? He goes, yeah, we got a darkroom. I said, oh, great, what's that? And um, he said, well, why don't we photograph some of your sculptures and then we can make prints of them in the darkroom. So I said, that's a great idea. Do you have a camera? <laughs> so uh, he had a camera and we, we took some photos and then he, he's so my enthusiasm. He took me into the dark room before we kind of processed that film. And, you know, as soon as you kind of, for me, as soon as I walked in and the smell, the chemicals and the red light, it was just a very cool place. And I don't think I'd ever been in anywhere as cool as this. And we didn't have any negatives, so he got a sheet of photo paper, and I think I took off my glasses, and uh, he had some keys or something, and we put it on a sheet of photo paper, very Man Ray style. We shone the light down, and then he put it in the developer, and I just, this it was alchemy. I mean, it was just something shifted inside me, and that's all I ever wanted to do from that moment on. My dad, a little camera, started taking pictures with that, um, applied to Manchester Polytechnic to the School of Art, got in. Um, the young lady was in, I think, her third year when I got into my foundation course. We There was no romantic interlude, but we did remain friends and speak occasionally till this day. That's the start. That's amazing. Do you ever wonder? I'm fascinated with the concept of sliding doors. You know? oh, yeah, man. If you hadn't just randomly first met this woman on the train and then if you hadn't gone back to school and and your teacher's like oh yeah we happen to have a dark room and taken an interest you know like those two just moments that set in motion an yeah. entire lifetime of work like do you ever wonder if those didn't happen all the time i <laughs> still like maybe maybe i'd be able to afford lunch if that had happened you know where, like you know, it's like, wow, could it use my brain to do something that actually made money? Um, no, I do wonder. I mean, I, I, 
if I go back to, I mean, art was my thing at high school. So I, one of the purposes of making the photographs of the clay sculptures was because if you're going to apply to art school, maybe then, you know, so I, I think, I, I think I would have always, I don't know. I really, really don't know. And, and to this day, I don't even know, you know, as you talk about sliding doors, would I have been better at something else? I mean, it's not hard to be better at photography, but I don't know, man. It's such an interesting question. It's yeah, really, no, really interesting. I'm fascinated by those. I mean, some people there's sort of like this slow, gradual progression and a build over time, and then some people there's like a moment or an experience or a person that just drops down, and everything changes. And for you, it sounds like there is this maker impulse in you that was yearning to get, and it would have probably found its way out some way. But I think the, so. The way that that it it has with you, it's pretty amazing. I kind of wanted to be an architect for about five minutes. <laughs> so, so did I actually. Be- between between being pre med and this, uh, <laughs> else, I was like, oh, I'm going to go to architecture school. And, um, when when you get out of Manchester, it sounds like you went almost immediately to New York. Yeah, there, there was a very painful period in between where a lot of my buddies in school were actually from London or Manchester. And, you know, my buddies from London went back to London. And then a lot of my non-photo buddies got jobs, right? So they moved to London with jobs. How am I moving to London, man? I don't have, like, any money. I got nothing. I've got a portfolio of weird art crap that I've created over the last four years. I, I, I have absolutely no idea how to get a job as a photographer. I mean, I have no idea what I want to do. I, I mean, it was just like, all right, thanks for the education. Um, so I moved back to Glasgow, which was kind of, I mean, that's really what I had to do. And, and I also didn't like London, but I mentioned that. So I moved back to Glasgow and I start shipping around my portfolio, like calling design firms and ad firms and start to pick up a few jobs furniture catalogs, etc. And I'd been there about two years, maybe after, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to check. And I'm getting pretty, I've got like a couple of recurring catalog, uh, furniture catalogs that I do a month that, I mean, for me was very well baked, but enough to afford a rent and all this. And I'm thinking maybe I should buy an apartment, stop paying rent. And then there was, I couldn't explain what it was, but I knew there was something that was stopping me doing that. I'm not sure what. And then another tremendous piece of luck is that the woman I was with, who was an absolute love of my life, decided she didn't want to be with me anymore. And I just had to, she was in London actually, so I was up and down a lot, but I just felt I had to leave the country. I couldn't get far enough away. So I had a buddy that was in New York selling diamonds, and I called him. I said, hey, can I uh, come for a minute? And he goes, yeah, come as long as you want. So I planned like this two-week, three-week. The first time I went home was two years later (laughs) or three years later to get my visa, and that was it. And New York was just mind-blowing. And I got to New York, and... I think one of the first or second nights out, I went to a party with somebody who I knew from somewhere. somewhere. 
And all of a sudden, I'm talking to this really cool girl called Forrest, who was Annie Leibovitz's studio manager. Like, oh, so, you know, things happen super fast in New York, but then super slow. So all of a sudden, my portfolio seemed more relevant to the kind of going to see magazines and stuff. And I started to pick up a, a few bits and pieces here and there. I got an agent, which was bizarre, but I think somebody saw potential. And I got this job in L.A. for Entertainment Weekly. And I, I went out to L.A. and I had my portfolio, my camera bag, and like two pairs of underwear and a pair of socks, which is pretty much everything I owned plus my passport. Because, you know, I came I came on vacation, you know, and I, I did the job and it was great. And we FedExed the film from the studio back to New York to my lab. And then I knew somebody who knew somebody, and they said, well, I have lunch with this guy. So I drove to his house in a rental car, came out of lunch. The trunk of the rental car had been broken into, camera gone, uh, clothes gone. Oh, man. Portfolio gone. Oh, no. <laughs> and this was the day where, like, it, it, it was probably all film, right? So this was there wasn't a digital backup. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. And all my negatives are in Scotland, right? Ah. Because, you know, I hadn't, you know, most of the work that was in my book was, you know, and my negs are in Scotland. Uh, so I get home and I get back to my agent. She goes, like, can you get a new book? And I'm like, ah. she goes, call us when you get a new book. Like, oh, okay. So then, um, thankfully, I, it's, you know, there's the silver linings and all these things. I started to assist. And I assisted for two or three years, still trying to shoot, or four years. And I really learned, I think, more than anybody could have ever taught me about the business and how, how it works. And, you know, I came up that way a little bit. Yeah. I mean, in New York also, especially that time. So we're talking sort of like late 90s-ish, right? Early 2000s. No, no. Uh, I came in 87. It's probably 90, 91. Okay. So early, late 80s, early 90s. Which was, I mean, it's a little bit of, you know, it's weird to say there's a golden era of photography in New York, but I feel like there was a season in New York Love going on. where it was just some incredible work. I mean, you mentioned Leibowitz and, but there were also, I mean, there, there were so many people who are doing, really pushing the envelope of what the expectation of photography and what you could do right yeah. around that window. Um, you ended up assisting for at least a chunk of time, I guess, with Miles Aldridge. Yeah, I worked for Miles for a while. I'm a great admirer and respecter of his work. I think he's very talented, but it was more an excellent example of for me of how not to treat people. You know, but it was what it was, what it was, and I learned a ton. I'll always be thankful to that. But it was like, wow, I can't I can't believe you're saying that or you're doing that. And uh, I think working for a few people like like that made me very different and how I was when I was the boss and I had assistants, probably to my detriment, actually. I mean, you know, if I had a dollar for every one time, my wife said, you're too nice. You should be harder on these things. Push back. I can't, I don't have the energy, man. I just want it to go smooth. <laughs> and it's nobody's fault but mine, right? I mean, it is the bottom line with it's nobody's fault but mine. Yeah, but it at the end of the day, though, I mean, what do you have? You you have your work, and and you have the the 
relationships that you build with people, you know? Yeah, exactly. And they both matter. You know, they both, it's a lot. It's, yeah. it's not just the money you get paid for what you're doing that, you know, like adds up to a good life. Who are we supposed to get paid? <laughs> the, the classic photography line, right? <laughs> so, do we get paid for this? Um, you're right. And, um, you know, I have great relationships with so many of the people that I came up with. Um, so many of the photographers that came up with me are not taking photos anymore, sadly. But a lot of the stylists are, a lot of the makeup artists, and we're all kind of like, oh shit, we're all we're all old school now. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. So around that, we've had um, Danny Clinch uh, on the podcast before. Legend, because he was assisting for Annie Leibovitz. I think it was right around that similar time. And it's interesting to see who's, like you said, who who's still around, who's still shooting, what they're shooting, and whether they really substantially change what they're doing. I mean, it sounds like for you, you kind of emerged from this season of, you know, like really developing the craft and learning the business. And you land doing a, lot, a whole lot of work for Source magazine. Yeah, yeah. That was crazy, though. That was how, how does that happen? Because it's it's not the most logical sort of like okay, next step for you. <laughs> well, there was a, there's a fellow called David Cucurito who went on to I, I it was I I, I think he, well I know he has his own design firm now, but he was the creative director for a tiny little publication called Manhattan File, and I can't remember. Oh, yeah, I just I went in cold, cold with my book, you know, as a magazine. Um, it was very much a society magazine. I don't know if you remember it or whatever, but he kind of dug my portraits and he gave me a couple of commissions. One was Brett Easton Ellis, and one was Jay McInerney. And I think mostly because I had no idea what I was doing, I produced some interesting portraits. Oh, camera, okay. And I did that, and then he wanted to give me a cover, and he gave me a cover of Candace Bushnell. So right in the maybe the first kind of season of Sex in the City, and it was huge. I managed to get this shot of her lying on a bed, and I, I had I had no desire for her to get undressed. <laughs> I can't wait. But she wanted, she said, can we do it naked if I'm like that? I'm like, okay. Um, it was just not, it's not my way. It's the, the more clothes you've got on, the better for me. I'm really uncomfortable. But uh, we did this shot and it was a very, very successful cover for them. It was beautifully retouched and it was a successful cover. And then all of a sudden, sort of some other things started to happen around that. But Cucurito went on, he called me one day, he goes, Mark, I'm going to be the creative director of the Source magazine. I'm going to get you in next week to shoot some stuff. I'm like, oh, that's great, Dave. What's the Source? Oh, it's hip-hop. It's hip-hop. I mean, I knew Puff Daddy, you know what I mean? But I didn't really have any knowledge of what hip-hop was, the roots, the culture, anything. So he calls me into this magazine and I'm a little white guy from Glasgow, you know what I mean? I go into the office and it's all like real kind of hip-hop people. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and uh, he says, okay, so I want you to go out to New Jersey. It's the year anniversary of Biggie Smalls' death. And I want you to photograph his mum, Mrs. Smalls. Brilliant. What kind of, uh, just do what you do, Mark. Great. 
So I did a bit of research. I, I don't think I knew who Biggie was. I mean, not in a bad way, but I just, it was not part of my thing. So I drive out to New Jersey in a rental car. I don't think I had an assistant with me, just me. And uh, I opened the door and this charming, wonderful woman, um, I said, here from the source. And she goes, okay, we're expecting you, or I'm expecting you. And I did these great pictures, made some pictures of Mrs. Wallace. And uh, I'm leaving, and she goes, listen, there's some, uh, if you want to hang about, there's some people coming over to uh, for the anniversary of, you know, my son's death or whatever it is. Yeah, I can hang about for a minute, have a cup of tea, whatever. And then, like, all these people start arriving. And now it's very funny. It was like, puff who I knew, but, like, uh, Lil' Kim came. About three or four other, like, people I should have known but didn't start coming. And it just it was like, oh, this is interesting. And I think I did okay because I had no – I think they couldn't pigeonhole me as somebody. So I'm just my Glasgow self, you know. I'm just myself. And, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a I'm – a, Oh, I do rap. Oh, cool. Cool. What kind of rap? You know, like, so I think it was this, who the hell is this guy? But not in a bad way, you know, because just as a human being, I'm genuinely interested in people. And, uh, you know, I, I think that was kind of what was okay. And then I started working more and more and more for the source. And it was great. It was a great experience. I mean, I got to, you know, all of a sudden, like, I get a call that I can you photograph DMX? Like, sure. Um, I had done his album cover. No, I'd done something. I'd photographed him before for something. It was like first time, I think, for another magazine. And I was like, sure. And he goes, he's not going to show up unless it's you, Mark. Hmm. So all of a sudden, like every time, it was just these bizarre kind of things that happened that still blow my mind to this day. And the other thing about working for the source was, I was there one day, I was in a, I think I was married, I had a brief starter marriage and I was in my brief starter marriage and I'm working in the, I'm, I'm in visiting a creative director and there's a little knock on the door and this very beautiful young lady comes in, in a brown velour kind of track suit top thing. She was absolutely beautiful and uh, Dave says, hey Mark, this is Katie, she's our new um director of our our editor for source sports i was like oh, nice to meet you i'm mark and uh, and uh, that is my wife today mm. so that took a long time but we were friends but yeah the source was magnificent and then it kind of all went pear-shaped like it just you know did through the source then started coming a lot of uh hip-hop album packages and then all of a sudden it was like all i want to do is stand beside my car i was like well Jay did it, you know, and it just started to get so, and I felt I needed to kind of segue a little bit out of music. I was, I was finding it. I mean, listen, I've never turned down a job, but I was pushing towards other things. And I suppose that's when kind of the celebrity stuff started to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, part of what you said in there is that, you know, there are certain genres, certain cultures, certain things where it's like, Everyone has, you know, there's one shot that becomes iconic and then everyone wants their version of the same shot. 
you know, so every cover looks the same. Every album looks the same, like all the stuff looks the same. And for them, you know, it's probably, well, I'm sort of like, you know, I'm sharing in this iconic moment, but for you as somebody who's behind the lens, it's sort of like at a certain point, it's sort of like, you know, your own creative Jones starts to want more, yearn for something that's out of that box. Definitely. And a hundred percent. And it's very rarely that I'll get my, let my creativity get in front of the fact that I'm getting paid or making photographs because that is the, to me, the most important thing. And creativity does get stifled, but I'm incredibly fortunate in just the team player and being part of it and going and meeting people and talking to people and the experiences are just as important to me as the final image. I know a lot of photographers and I may be a little envious of them that is are just so committed to that final image. And I'm not I'm not committed like that. I'm committed to the experience and doing it and you know, and I think that allowed me to do stuff that that I didn't necessarily want to do. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I mean, it it does. It, I was working. Right. So, I mean, for you, I guess for some people, it's all about the final product, right? It's about the shot. Yeah. And But it sounds like for you, that's part of it, but that's only part of why you're like, part of it is about, it's about the interaction, the conversation, the moment. Yeah. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Good Life Project is sponsored by LinkedIn Ads. So as a business-to-business marketer, your needs are unique. B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. So isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn Ads empowers marketers with solutions tailored for B2B. Imagine having direct access to a billion professionals, including 180 million senior executives and 10 million C-level leaders with LinkedIn's powerful targeting tools built for B2B, you can drive serious results. LinkedIn ads generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than other social platforms in the technology space. We've actually tapped the power of LinkedIn ads a number of times ourselves, and the campaigns have been really successful. 
If you're ready to revolutionize your B2B marketing, try LinkedIn ads with a $100 credit on your next campaign. Terms and conditions apply. Go to linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject or just click the link in the show notes. Terms and conditions apply. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. It's interesting. I, I was um, I was scanning back through um, some of the stuff that you posted on Instagram, and there was um, you shared a shot of George Carlin, and and the caption was something like, "The shot is meaningful to you." Like when you reflect on it, you would have done it differently. Yeah. But but what what you love about the shot is it reminds you of the time you spent with him. Hung out with George Carlin. I mean, you know, I like me and George having a chat. To me, that is so much more valuable than this image, which is not my favorite and, you know, not great, not anything. But that 20 minutes with George Carlin, man, just listening to him on a personal one-on-one is everything. And that is so much of the experience. And, yeah, it happens a lot with celebrities, but it's real people as well. It's like, when do you get this chance to really, you know, and it's and it's brief and it's fleeting. And it, for that, it can be authentic because, you know, you're probably never going to see that person again. And it, it, it that that to me is the experience. And what I'm beginning to understand looking back in retrospect is that the conversation and the, 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 the authenticity of the conversation makes for the portrait. So they work very much in tandem. But if you told, if you all said to me, okay, we're going to destroy that picture of George Carlin um, and nobody will ever see it again, or we're going to take away your memory and say, take the photo hundred times mm. because it's the, it's the experience you know, even in retrospect, looking back at that picture, what I do like about it is the communication. That that's kind of the, the I don't like the light. Focus is bad. The exposure was wrong. But the communication is is what sits with me in that memory. Yeah, it's so interesting to me because when I think what a lot of people think about a photographer, they or, or the a, a particular photograph, let's say. You know, they think about, well, you know, this is a great depiction of the fact of what was seen. But what what they probably don't think about is, but this is actually, it's it's always got to be some blend of the fact of what appeared before the lens and the person who chose 
how they were going to capture it. But maybe there's a third thing in there also, which is the quality of, especially if you're talking about portraiture, the quality of the interaction at that moment in time, it's got to elicit something, you know? So it's, it sounds like it's really this blend of these three different things. Definitely. And I, I would say the third one is the most important. Uh, I have so many examples of just, you know, as, as anybody who's kind of talked to me about photography or portraiture knows, and, you know, somebody, somebody comes into, just as we kind of touched on, they come into a room, I come into a room, we're both there for a purpose. You're there to have your picture taken. I'm, I'm there to make the picture. It's hard to remember what I was thinking 25 years ago, but what, what I'm thinking now is my light, I know I kind of know what I'm doing, right? If it's in 30 years, if if I don't know, I you know, the, the second nature, exposure is second nature, composition is not second nature, but it's coming easier to me now. So all I have to do, I've got a great team that helps, you know, with these things, and I'm still very aware of everything that's going on. But I know I don't have to think about it. the only thing I have to fo- focus on and I'm not that great at that either, is getting something going on between us, you know, getting getting you to, to smile or to nod or to tell you a story and and shoot through that moment. That That's all I focus on now. I, and it's, it's really changed. I've really begun to like more of my photos for that because I can really feel that, yeah, I made that happen. It's saying it's not saying anything about me, but it's saying something about that person, and I've provoked that, or induced that, or made that happen, and that that I think is the essence of a, a, a of a a good portrait. And I think I've made like three that I could really say, "Wow!" If I had to only have three photographs, these would be the ones. And mostly, it's not because of light. It's not because of composition. It's not because of any of the other factors. It's just that moment. The eyes are the authenticity of what's happening between sitter and photographer. Yeah. I think that's what it's all about. When that happens, do you know it when it happens? Yeah, I do a happy dance. I do a happy dance. I've really, um, it's, <laughs> you know, I, I call it like the, the photo gods align, right? And the factors that make up for a portrait, which are all the things we've discussed, the light, composition, exposure, they can align quite easily for me. But when that fourth one, where the the, the, the thing, the moment, the second, the millisecond, or one two-fifth of a second or whatever, hits it at that point. And yeah, you, you know it, you see it, you see it in your camera. You, you see it and you go, oh, okay, I got it. Yeah, I mean, do you feel it in your bones at the same time? Uh, no, my, I mean, it's just like okay. And what 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 I tend to do when that happens is go, oh, there's you know there's <laughs> there's a technical side of things, but there's a, a brilliant button. I'm sure lots of cameras have it, but um, the Leica SL2, which I've been shooting on a lot. It's a, it's, a, it's a mirrorless, so it has a digital viewfinder. So you're not really seeing through the glass, which I don't like, but you, it has this one feature where if you press a button and the viewfinder comes up the last picture you took, 
So you can be staring at the last picture you took, but not with your hands down. So it doesn't appear like you're chimping. I think that's what they call it when you chimp down. You're chick, check. So I can chimp from here. And if I see it and I feel it, then I would just go, we got it. And people are like, what? You've only taken 20 frames. I'm like, well, we got it. We're not getting any better. And then sometimes I get a big smile and I'll take that picture. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, sweet, I'm out of here. And you're like, no, that's yeah. the shot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely a listen, I, I I'm I'm still nervous and anxious going into any job. And I think the anxiety mixed with the nervous energy allows me to to bring out this personality. I don't know who this guy is when he comes out, but it's me. And it's good for about seven minutes. So seven minutes is a good amount of time for me. And then it just gets bored or I get weird or say something really bad or stupid. <laughs> yeah, we, should, we should have stopped. Right. I'm, I'm fascinated that, um, you know, you're, you're three decades into your career. You've shot many of the highest profile people on the planet. And yet you still walk in anxious. Petrified. Do you ever wonder what that's about? Yeah. Um, there's so many factors that can go wrong. <laughs> you know, I think I'm doing what I love and I'm always trying to do something better. And I'm always very aware of that. And then I have these crazy uh, pre-shoot anxiety dreams, usually the night before. I mean, everything from my camera melting, you know, like, it turned around to my assistant, Alex. Alex, why is the camera melting? Oh, we've got another. Oh, Mark, the other camera is melting. You know, these really vivid anxiety dreams, you know, about photography. And I have to say, in the whatever years I've been taking photos, everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. So I've witnessed it firsthand, you know. I mean, I went on a shoot. I forgot sync cable and the light. You know, I, I mean, you know, went on another shoot with a certain hip hop artist and he's hitting delete instead of the forward arrow. And that was that was in the time before delete didn't go to the trash. That was when delete was delete early digital software. I've done a shoot and um, I've brought the, the film home and by accident, I, I haven't hand checked the 800 ISO film and it's gone through the scanner. I've lost film somewhere between me and the dark room had to scan the Polaroid and give that to them. I mean, anything that has gone, I mean, we haven't killed anybody, thankfully, or anything like that, but anything photographically, camera breaking, dropping the camera, uh, ruining the film, deleting the file, any, any of these things have happened. So I think that's probably part of where the anxiety comes from. And then, you know, it's a weird balance because the more prepared I try to be, the less prepared I am. I, I know the things that I've got to get right. Like I've got to get the equipment there. I've got to get my functioning camera there. I've got to get the light for how I perceive the shot. But if I start thinking about really truly about what I want to do, then I go into uh, this kind of crazy uh, whirlpool craziness. So being prepared is my equipment, but mentally I just try not to think about it too much till I get there and then I get anxious. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting also because the way you shoot so much of capturing the shot is about the moment that you create with the person 
so it's almost like the the more anxious you show up, the less capable you are of creating that. It probably makes you more anxious. Exactly. I've had anxiety dreams where I can't speak, where I'm trying to talk to the person. I just go, uh-huh, what, what? And I can't actually vocalize. I've had that dream. And I've actually witnessed that actually happen to somebody. I think that's probably where the dreams came from when we were shooting Obama in the White House. I had a photo assistant with me that I'd been working for for a long time, incredible young man, and he had been through everything. You know, we'd had it all, any disaster. The shoot went well for the five minutes we got to shoot. And then as Obama was wanted to meet everyone, have his photo with everyone, and um, and I said, this is my assistant, and Obama took his hand and shook it and said, how's your summer going? And my photo assistant just kind of went, <coughs> and could not physically speak. And I've never seen that happen to another human being before. And Obama was so cool. He said, well, enjoy the rest of it or something like that. It was just magnificent. So I think after I saw that, then obviously that became an anxiety dream. I, I turn into somebody. Um, it's, it's not Mark when I'm taking photos. It's somebody. I mean, it's not like, you know, grumpy Mark. I mean, my wife calls me the Grinch, especially this time of year. But it's, that's not what you get when, when I go to take your picture. But it can't last, as, as I say. It's like five minutes, and then everyone's like, all right, get them off. Yeah. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm curious also, is it um, if you got your five to seven minutes where you have like this window to create a certain amount of conversational magic to sort of like try and create something that grabs the shot, is the time limitation in part, you know, okay, so you're shooting celebrities. Generally, they don't have a lot of time. You got to be in and out fast. But, but also, I'm curious about your ability to sustain that. It seems like you're very gregarious. You're very easy in conversation. Um, but I wonder also, do do you feel like you're more introverted or extroverted? And that being almost that forward facing, being a part of the experience, actually, is hard for you to sustain just on a personal level, or is that not part of it? Every interaction I have, I can turn into practice for taking a photograph. So if I go into uh, the deli to buy a can of Coke, if my head's in a certain place, which is often, I go, all right, I'm going to photograph this guy. What am I going to say to him as I hand over the money? I want to make this guy laugh. I want to shock this guy. And mentally, it's constantly thinking about how am I going to make this guy laugh? How am I going to make this woman laugh? How am I going to, it's much to the chagrin of my wife and family who get to witness this, but it's great practice for me. So I think it's practice. It's definitely, definitely practice. It's definitely practice of communication, but I, I have genuinely find that, found that interacting with every human being you meet, and I can do it all the time, but if you interact as if you're going to take their picture, then you both have a better interaction. Mm. Do you always have a camera with you when you're when you're walking around, or is it more like phone or my phone, my phone, my yeah. phone? So bad, and I keep buying these bloody cameras to to have a camera with me, and I am so bad. It's 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 a major major irk for me, and I 
have tried so hard. Um, there's a, a fellow who works for Leica, who's a really good friend of mine. He's a pro services guy. His name is John Kreidler. And I, um, I've never done street photography ever. I just, I, I can't, I, I live in New York City. I don't see anything. It's pathetic. You know, I'll go for a walk. I don't see anything. Anybody who was a reasonable street photographer walking around New York for a day would get great photos. I, I don't see it. I don't understand it. I don't know if I should step beyond me. Uh, so we're, I said, hey, John, John's a really good street photographer. I said, John, can you uh, can you give me a lesson in street photography? He goes, yeah, sure, come on. So we go out, and my office is in Chinatown. So we were walking around the kind of core area there, which is pretty low-hanging fruit because it's pretty magnificent. Right? So he wanted to, you know, so it's a, you know, one of these New York light shadow days, really strong sunlight, really harsh shadows. And I'm walking along and I'm, I'm framing up a shot of the pillars from the side of the court building. And I'm just framing it up and I'm just like, oh, well, so, so work with the light and shadows, make a composition. All right, I think I got something. Yeah, this is pretty good. And at that moment, this woman in a, a full-length red coat decided to to walk out between two of the pillars in the right place. And miraculously, I pressed the photo. I, I pressed the button at that moment and got her kind of in the air, like leaping off a step. And I looked at it, I think, I am now retiring from street <laughs> photography. I am done. I will never, ever match that again, ever. So I've retired as a street photographer. I'm still waiting for that moment in portraits. So you had the, your one magnificent day. <laughs> yeah, I just, just, I'm retired. Never do that again. You know, it's interesting. I, I have this curiosity because I think we're all walking around with cameras in our pockets now. Whether you have, you know, a Lycra and a strap around your neck or whether you have a phone in your pocket. My curiosity is on on the one hand, I feel like if I'm going out, if I'm always sort of like in this mode where um, I'm in scan and capture mode, you know, I'll probably see a lot more in my life. Even if I never take a shot, if I'm yeah. in that mode, I will be seeing, I'll be actively moving through my day seeing. But then I also wonder if there, if the dark side to that is I won't be as in it myself because I'm in a mode of looking to capture looking to witness and frame and capture rather than being in the frame and being in it. And, and I wonder if there's that tension that, because I, I sometimes feel that when I'm walking around and I've, and I'm, I'm almost in that, you know, like I, I want to capture some cool stuff mode. I'm like, but what if I, I'm just here? Like, what if I'm actually in the frame and me wanting to capture the frame stops me from, from living it? Wow. That's, that's very, very interesting insight. I, I, absolutely hear what you're saying but i i don't suffer from it because i'm never looking but that's a that's a hard scenario i think i think i think with with everything it's um if you're capable i would say there's capture days and there's not capture days and but that's that's really really difficult you know i went to see jerry seinfeld a few months ago um well a few months ago before the pandemic and uh he does this bit about, you know, he's walking through, you know, he's walking through town or whatever. He's got his buddy and his buddy goes, Jerry, Jerry, look at that. Look at that. And he just doesn't want to look. He, he doesn't want to fill his head with whatever. 
I said, oh, there's a guy over there doing this crazy thing. And Jerry's like, okay, I, I got the picture. It keeps walking. And I think I'm a bit like that. <laughs> I don't want to see it because I don't want to feel guilty about not taking a photograph. So if I don't see it, then, you know, uh, it, yeah, I, I think I think your point is very, very interesting. And it, because when I'm working mostly, it's um, very intense, short periods of time. I mean, there's a lot of hurry up and wait, but to go looking for something out with that, I, I just have, I don't have the discipline. I don't have the talent or the discipline. And I don't like it enough. I don't, I don't particularly like being cold. I don't particularly like being alone. <laughs> I think most of the street photographers, somebody came to my office the other day to pick up a lens that I had borrowed from Leica that he was borrowing. And it was pissing fucking down in New York City. It was like one of these torrential downpour days. And he's a very well-known street photographer. And he's got his full anorak on and his hood up. And um, I have to take the lens out. So we, we run under a bus stop. And so, so how's your day going? Like really sarcastically, like, you know. Uh, and he goes, oh, it's brilliant. I'm getting great stuff. I'm like, wow, mind-blowing. So, yeah, I'm not that guy. I, 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 am, I am certainly not that guy. But major respect. Yeah. To those who are, I think you should, for you, I think you shouldn't be hard on yourself and over, not overthink it. You know, it's interesting. I think I've also inadvertently found myself doing what you said, where it's sort of like, you know, there are times where I'm, I'm just out, you know, where I am right now, I can, uh, you know, in, in five minutes, I'm walking in a, on a dirt trail in the middle of stunning mountains and right. And I have this impulse, you know, because I'm, I look out and I'm, I'm scanning the horizon and I'm like, this is the most stunning moment. You know, I'm, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And then my next impulse is to reach into my pocket and I have to capture this because it looks like crap. Right. And then, then, yeah, it never actually (laughs) reflects anything, but then I'm also like, I'll, I'll like, I'll literally put my hand on my phone and then I'll stop myself. I'm like, no man, like, that's not the point of this moment. Right. You know, there's a time and a place yeah. for that. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so I think I have a similar wiring to you. If you can do that for real, I do it through laziness. <laughs> but if you can actually do it for real, I think you're really onto something. Yeah, I go back and forth. You know, some days I do it. Some days I'm just like, okay, so this will be my time to capture. But then other days I'm like, no, this is just my time. Yeah. Yeah. It's also... I think it comes from the experience we're out walking and there's a golf course just behind us here in Long Island and we were out walking on the golf course and the light was that kind of William Merritt chase, stunning. I mean, the light was just unbelievably beautiful and there was a three-quarter moon. It was still about 4 p.m. It was a three-quarter moon and the sun was going down behind and the layers and the levels and the moon and it was just, and, you know, somebody I was with said, oh, you should, you should take a photo. This is gorgeous. And I just knew that the moon would look tiny. The colors would be wrong. The scale would be wrong. I was like, yeah, if I had X, Y, Z, D to do this. And so, yeah, I pull out my camera. I take a snapshot. I come back. Yeah, let's see that photo. I'm like, oh, it didn't look like that. I'm like, yeah. So I think I think also the experience of knowing that you, you – that it's better to live it as a moment and keep the memory as you're, as you were saying, and 
or, or, or why you're there, you know. I mean, I, I have I have a six-year-old, and I've been pretty reasonable at documenting him, mostly through cell phone, but, you know, once every six months, I'll photograph him with a camera. And uh, I don't think I've made very many successful pictures, but I've been pretty successful about documenting his different stages. So that was that was insightful. Yeah. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front-row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So I got to ask you about something because you shared through throughout the conversation a number of times a sense of, I would almost say, profound humility about your the level of skill in creating images. And from the outside looking in, I think, you know, I look at, I look at the images that you have created over a long window of time, so many just stunning portraits where I, I will literally sit there you know, and just look and look and look. And I don't know why I'm looking, but I know there's something immensely powerful about it. And I and I know I'm not the only one. You know, there's something stunning. There's something deeply moving about this. And here you are 30 years into your career, sort of like struggling to stand in that place of like, I do have this certain, there's something about a place where I am right now that allows me to create some really powerful images that move people. I'm definitely incredibly grateful. And I think there's so many expressions, fake it till you make it or whatever. You're only as good as your last photograph, even though I haven't heard that one for a while. But it's it's hard when you're when you're when you're a freelancer, I think you spend so much of your time worrying about, you know, how you're gonna pay for this and pay for that. And, you know, the struggles are very real for photographers. I mean, I'm thankfully in a better position than, you know, I used to be, but so so many times you do a shoot, the client's happy, 
and you put it behind you and you're looking forward. You're never looking back at that. You know, that was pretty good. What's next? What's next? How am I going to make this? Some of it now, thankfully, has developed into, oh, uh, I can actually, I don't have to worry about money so much, but it hasn't taken away the worry of what's next. What am I going to do next? How am I going to do better? But I think in the last two or three years, doing things like this has forced me to be a little more retrospective about everything. And sometimes I I kind of take a quick glance at the catalog and go, Jesus, that's a lot of work. Some of it's it's not bad. But I don't think I'm ever going to be the person that, I think I think when it when you think you're doing great and when you think everything's great, it's time to hang it up. I still have the passion to do better. I'll always have the passion to do better. You know, if if I look at some of my absolute heroes, Payne, Avedon, you know, there's ten there's ten photos. They made I mean, they made thousands of fabulous photos, but there's ten, right? That are I I mean I I'm maybe one, two, I don't know. So if these guys were always striving to be better and to move forward and to work with the times and the different way things are happening, then I think it's a bit of a joke to think that, you know, me as a, as, as a photographer can't do better and be better. And I think that's the, the, the genuine humility of, of where it comes from. Um, and I also think that I think that if you can find a balance on set between being kind of cool and not a dick, I mean, often people who who, are, who I'm photographing have seen my work and have an, often an idea of who I am and what I've done. But if you can play the humility card and it's genuine and give off the impression that you know exactly what you're doing, but you fumble around a little bit, I think it's endearing. <laughs> <laughs> it actually helps with the work at the end of the day but you also i mean not to skip over that one thing that you said and it's genuine you know and with you you know you really feel it is and there's there's this sense of yes i'm 30 years into my career but i have this perpetual beginner's mind total total it's such an important part of who you are you just keep saying the things that i want to say much smarter than i say them <laughs> No, you're right. I've never thought about it like that. But yeah, I have a beginner's mind. You've nailed it. I mean, that's exactly what it is. How do I make this better? What I did do during the pandemic was um, really interesting for me was I've been threatening, promising myself to do a book. And it kind of started as 20 years in New York and now it's 25 years in New York and a couple of days will be 26 years. But, I, you know, people I talked to and people I respect said, you've got to find an angle. You're not going to be happy about just a book of your photos because that doesn't, it's just not who you are. So I really trying to find an angle. And what I kind of came up with was to go back over all the old shoots and look at stuff that I'd missed or stuff that I didn't consider because the client hadn't considered it and it just went away or more importantly, stuff that appeals to me now but didn't appeal to me then. You know, sometimes if you were doing something for someone, 
there's some shots back there that have the great interaction that weren't lit perfectly that I looked over because the client was looking for this or that. So um, I re-retouched around 250 pictures during the pandemic. I went back to the beginning of my digital catalog um, because my film wasn't with me, it's in storage. Um, And I'm nearly through that. And uh, the next stage is to go back to the film and do the same stuff. And although I'm not, you know, somebody, if somebody looking at it, it might not see it. It's not like a glaring statement. I still think they're all, I think there's still photographs of merit that I've taken, but there's just a slight difference going back and looking at pictures from 25 years ago. Beyond trying to curate something potentially for a book, just what what was that experience like for you going back and like looking through? Horror, horror, <laughs> horror. Can't believe I did that. Can't believe I didn't do this. Can't, oh, actually, that will work, but it's, uh, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> uh, no, it was, it was, it was incredibly anxiety provoking and it was a wonderful pandemic project because it kept me truly focused and I could, I, there was no client pressure because I was a client. So, or I am the client. So there's no client pressure. So I, you know, could work at weird times, you know, wake up at five before, you know, the family got up to a few hours um, and then like work late into the night because I could go for a sleep in the afternoon because, you know, I wasn't actually sh- shooting so much. So it was, uh, the pandemic flew past, or the, the, the first, I mean, now it's dragging because I'm kind of back at work and shooting and it's, an, that's, that's, that's another crazy, I mean, thank God I'm shooting and, but it's, 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 it's added a whole new level, but it, the pandemic kind of flew past the summer months flew past and in retrospect if i have to find a silver lining i think that's a major i would never ever ever have done this if it wasn't for the fact that i was you know in isolation for six months Mm. so yeah it was uh it was horrific but i did learn i I mean i learned things not to do more than things to do yeah i mean Beyond the technical experience, were you able to savor any of it? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's like, oh, you know, there was one shoot that I went back to. It was pretty recent shoot, and I'd photographed Chris Rock. And I'd forgotten I'd photographed Chris Rock. I mean, not in a bad way. I mean, just like if somebody had said, Mark, have you photographed Chris Rock? I'd go, yeah. But it just in my head, it wasn't there. Oh, Chris Rock. Oh, yeah. So, like, for instance, that, and I was like, wow, there was a good photo in here. So, yeah, there was definitely some very pleasant surprises that were usually quickly undone by dreadful, horrific errors. <laughs> no, but it was it was nice to revisit the story. Looking through Looking through the pictures reminds me of the story, and there's always a story. So there's always a new, a different studio or a, Oh God! Do you remember the lunch we had after that, or do you remember the fact that we forgot film and we had to? So there's always a a story. So it was nice to relive the stories. I love that. I, I I'm a big believer in that. Um, you know, a good life is a well storied life. And if if you have this catalog of images that for you, even though nobody else will know this, 
it for you, it triggers a moment, a conversation, a story, you know, um, it's pretty cool. I, I was looking, I was looking back at a shoot that I did for men's health. It was a cover for men's health of Usher. And we were, uh, shooting, we were staying in LA and we were shooting on a beach, uh, one of the beach houses in Malibu that was for rent. It was back in the early 2000s, probably, where, you know, there was budget, there was a DJ on set, there was a you know, kind of budget for stuff and styling and then motorhome and like a big, comp, you know, cover for a national magazine. And we've checked and double-checked and triple-checked the equipment. We know we've got everything because we know when we get to Malibu, we're kind of done and film has been delivered it's in a bag it's there everything's there we get out to malibu and set up our lights and everything's looking great and i said to whoever was helping me that day or who the team i said give me some polaroid i'm going to rattle off some polaroid and just make sure the light's okay and they come back and they're both ash in face we don't have any polaroid but we ordered it yeah, it's not in the bag with the film. We've got no Polaroid. Now, I wouldn't actually be that worried about that, but I know the creative director, the art director, and 60 other people are going to see Polaroids. So Usher comes out, and he's pretty, he's changed, he's ready to go, he's gone on set. And I'm, I think anybody who knew me could see that I'm certainly anxiety, although I wasn't showing it. And I, I turned around to my friend, to the stylist who was a friend or somebody I knew quite well. I said, do me a favor. I've got no Polaroid. It's on his way from LA. It's going to be like another 40 minutes. I don't like, can you change the pants? But take your time with it. And she's like, so he goes in and they're like, well, did you take a Polaroid? I said, no, nah, I didn't like the pants. So one of my assistants realized that Russian Vogue was in the house next door. And I said, just go ask them for a pack of Polaroid. Tell them we'll give them it back in five minutes. So she goes over and, you know, it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And uh, Usher is like coming back out. She comes back, she's got a pack of Polaroid, rip over the Polaroid. And, you know, back in the day, you'd take like 20, 30 Polaroids. I was like taking three and really examining them, showing them around. <laughs> and the creative director who's worked with me for a while is like, what the fuck is wrong with them? What are you doing? And then, you know, so we're, we're, I said, I think we'll, we'll do the shot. Uh, we'll do the shot because I've got film. So we start doing the shot and the, I can see from the beach the road and I see the delivery van coming. And I kind of relax and do the shoot. But, that, you know, that, that story is just going to stay with me forever. I remember telling Usher about it uh, another time I photographed him. He goes, no, I didn't realize there was anything wrong. But me as a human being probably took 10 years off my life. But still kept the, the you know, the pretense that everything was okay. Yeah, I mean, you look, all these images are just, they're all these backstories that nobody could look at the image and know what the story is. What the, but yeah. there's... But for you, there's so much more there. Well, that, that, that was going to be the name of the book, Crap Story, uh, Crap Photos, Good Stories. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at the photos, but the stories are good. <laughs> the other thing that came about during the pandemic was this uh, I do, I teach a few Like Academy seminars every year, and um, I have absolutely no gift for teaching. 
but I do quite enjoy the process of giving information that people want. And I, you know, just to get a, we get a, I get a ton of requests on Instagram and my social. How do you do this? How do you make this? And some of them are like, well, you put a lens on it. But a lot of them are are much deeper than I ever thought they would be, and people take a long time. And I, I got a bit of a reputation for answering people, which is really nice. I try and answer everybody. So we started a YouTube channel. It's called Complicated Things, and it's we're not going to teach you how to set your f-stop, but we maybe hopefully teach you how to budget for a job. You know, that's been really really nice to do. So if you get a moment, folks, uh, check out Complicated Things. Going to be some giveaways. Complicated Things. That's awesome. I haven't actually seen that, so I'm, I'm going to have- check it out. It's, it's kind of fun. It's it's me and uh, my partner Alex, and uh, we have different views on things, which is great. Um, I'm kind of old school, da, 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 and he's like young and knows what he's doing and is able to multitask. And you know, if you hand me more than one thing, I'm. <laughs> Um, it feels like a, a good place for us to come full circle as well. So hanging out here in this container of a good life project, if I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up? Ooh, to live a good life. It changes every day, doesn't it? I mean, it, it changes in your circumstances. I think, I think to truly live a good life, and I certainly wish I took more of my own advice here would be to to take every day, look around you, see what you can do, see what you can experience, see what you can contribute, and not delay things. Because if you delay, then you don't do it. So I think living a good life is making making the most of every day, de- depending on the circumstances. I mean, sometimes, you know, I photographed Michael Douglas and he, it was just after his cancer surgery. And he said, I've got a bit of advice for you. He said, um, it's something very similar to what you're saying. He says, when you're sick, you got to make the most of it because there's nothing else you can do. So even if you're not feeling great or not, you know, you're not feeling well, make the most of that. I'm, I, I would like to take more of my own advice there. Sometimes I just, I don't want to do this and then regret it. And sometimes the, the rewards for the effort aren't immediate. And sometimes the rewards don't come back for months or years or, you know, the, the time that I insist on spending with my son right now. I, you know, I'm chopped liver, basically. If mum's around, forget it. But I really believe in that putting in this energy and the time is and I see little hints of this way back, you know, just like, hey, hey, daddy, do you want to? I'm like, ah, okay, yeah, it's a great question. That's the stuff that matters. Well, thank you, I really appreciate the conversation. Brilliant. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who help make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, if you've ever asked yourself, what should I do with my life? We have created a really cool online assessment that will help you discover the source code for the work that you're here to do. You can find it at sparkatype.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P-E. 
www.thinkandgrowthpodcast.com or just click the link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share, share the love. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation, share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time.